Good morning. Run loud. Sorry. My name is Miranda Beckendorf, and my family and I have been coming to Crosspoint since we moved to Eureka, so probably about 12 years. So, our scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 24 in the CSB translation. Let's hear God's word. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Miranda. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, open it up to that passage. Today marks, uh, if you've been keeping score at home, 31 weeks through 1 Corinthians. And so, uh, good job on your endurance through this. Uh, proud of your church. Uh, thankful for your endurance. Uh, if you ever wonder if the Word of God is relevant and timely for any stage of life, in any point in history, in any historical context, 1 Corinthians reminds us of that. And so, it's been a joy to work through it, and uh, I pray it's been beneficial and encouragement to your, uh, to your faith. Next Sunday, we, we kick off a new series called Harvest is Abundant, Church Planting Locally and Globally. Five Sundays focused on uh, missions and specifically church planting. I'm excited for uh, who will be preaching. We're going to lead off strong with Stephen Souter. You may have heard of him. Uh, we're going to lead off sabbatical really strong with Stephen. Uh, I'm setting this up really well for him. Uh, and then uh, Eric Johnson, uh, he's planting or he has planted at Redeemer, was on staff here for many, many years. Uh, John Bricker is following that. Ethnos 360, the team is going to uh, not be here in person, but they've put together a message uh, via video. I'm super uh, excited about that. And then Dan Loggins, who a friend of mine, he's preached here a couple times last year. He's planted a couple church churches as well through his history. So I'm thankful for uh, for them being willing to share. I'm thankful to to spend five Sundays talking about missions, church planting, especially as we approach 20 years to be reminded of the mission that we are on and the vision that we are working toward. Also, as we approach 20 years, with that in mind, we want to be a people of prayer and fasting. Uh, we want to be a people who are confessing our dependence upon the Lord who is faithful and who is able. And so in your program, you have a, a prayer and fasting guide that we put out. It's also on the website. Uh, it's back probably at Guest Connections. But all, all that is is 20 prompts, if you will, to lead us toward prayer, uh, to guide us as we confess our both thankfulness to the Lord in hindsight, as well as our expectancy for what he will do as we move forward into this next chapter. So I'm deeply uh, convicted or challenged lately to be a people of prayer. 
We don't want to walk into this next chapter in our own strength. We want to walk in dependence upon the Lord who is faithful. Years ago, I heard this encouragement from a friend of mine on the mission field. It was Nonobile and the Isaiah 55 missionaries who encouraged that at the end of a short-term mission trip, you want to give a good goodbye. In just a week's time, you've built relationships with the team that will stay in Mexico while you as a team head home. And so you don't want to shortchange the goodbye. You don't want to ignore the joy that it has been to serve alongside, to, be, to build friendships or to strengthen friendships that you already had, to, uh, to talk about that joy. You also don't want to uh, miss or shortchange the sadness that it is to, to, to uh, depart, to go home, and, uh, and, and the sadness of having to say goodbye. So today is my last Sunday before my summer sabbatical begins. Heather and I will be back on, in attendance on August 13th, Lord willing, and then I'll be back preaching on August 20th. Sabbatical is a gracious gift that the elders and staff have given to me. Thank you for the love and encouragement that you have shown to our family over the past few months as we've shared this news. Uh, the elders and staff are picking up a variety of things in my absence, and I'm grateful for their willingness uh, to serve and love us in that way. Uh, these are brothers and sisters in Christ who I, uh, who I trust, who are trustworthy, who love the Lord, who love this local church, and I'm grateful for how the Lord has gifted them uh, to, to serve and to equip and to encourage and the work that he is doing through them. This sabbatical, if you're new to this news, this sabbatical is not escape. It's not job hunting. Uh, it's not crisis either. Um, sadly, there's been church after church that um, walk through, have walked through a lot of hard things, especially friends of mine. And so this is not crisis. This is not like Dave and Heather um, are in crisis. This is a uh, gracious gift of renewal and rest in the Lord uh, that um, looking forward to, to be alongside my wife of nearly 27 years. It will be a time to retreat from the work and labor of our local of the local church ministry. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hopeful for how the Lord will use it to strengthen my walk with Him and to uh, strengthen my hands and my, my heart for ministry in this next season. So this morning is a good goodbye. It's with abundant joy that we gather alongside you and able to uh, preach and hopefully encourage you in the faith and in life. It's mixed in with sadness because you all are people who are dear to us. You are dear to us. And... It is a joy to be alongside you in this family and to be alongside you. As Paul finishes this letter to the Corinthians, he's giving a good goodbye. I got I to make a joke quick to shove this emotion down. Brian, Brian's rubbing off on me. I can make that joke. Troth's group is also sitting in the front row, if you haven't noticed. Uh, I want to see if they're here next week. <laughs> you, got, you guys let me know. Okay, Sam says he won't be. Um, so, uh, Corinthians, Paul is giving a good goodbye in chapter 16. We looked at the first 12 verses last week, final, uh, the second half of chapter 16 today, and in all of that, you see Paul's heart and love on display for the brothers and sisters in Christ who he has deep affection for. He was with them in, for 18 months, 
when the church was planted. He's been away from them. He's writing to them from the city of Ephesus in hopes to visit them in the future. And in Paul's good goodbye, he's, he's going to do four things. He's giving a f- uh, five short exhortations to the church, five short exhortations in only 15 words. He's talking about an example of a faithful Christ-following household in the Corinthian church that the Corinthian church should learn from. He's also going to remind the Corinthian church that they are not independent, but they are alongside the broader kingdom. So he's going to give greetings from other churches. And finally, he's expressing his love to the church. So first of all, these five short exhortations. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Five sharp, pointed, concise exhortations that are best understood not as singles, but as multiple strands of one rope. And in light of the letter that Paul has written, these make sense that, some, that these were some of the final encouragements to the Corinthian church. In general, Paul has charged the church to be grounded in the good news of Jesus and to grow up into Jesus who is the head of the church. To be a church that is prone, uh, the Corinthian church is a church that is prone to immaturity and childishness. And so Paul has, in a sense, over 16 chapters said, grow up in the Lord, Corinthian church, grow up. And anybody who's ever worked with small children, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, son chaser, servant, a coach, a teacher, has probably said in some form or fashion, verses 13 and 14. Some of you have already said it this morning, trying to get to this building. All right, you said, it's a 10 a.m. service for Pete's sake. Let's go. Be alert. Be alert. Come on. Or do everything in love. Why are you being self-centered right now? Let's, let's not fight. It's the Lord's day. Let's, let's do everything in love. And you've said these kind of things. And it's not like kids are the only ones who need to know this. Both those young and old in age, those both young and old in the faith, we need to receive these words and not resist them. Paul knows that anyone, including the Corinthians, who are intent on following Jesus with their lives will at times face opposition, persecution, abandonment, hostility, trial, test, suffering. And Paul knows that because the life of Jesus was marked by that. And we, as his followers, should expect that. Jesus' life and ministry was not marked by ease and comfort. So why would we expect our lives to look different as we're following him? Be alert. So this is not simply don't sleep. But rather, as one author wrote, it's a determined effort of wakefulness. All of these are military terms. So in the midst of a battle, on the front lines of a disciple-making mission we are living out, be alert, church. Be on guard, some of your translations say. Be on guard from what? Namely, false teaching. Paul gives a similar command to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, be on alert. And the context is because savage wolves will seek to come in and devour the flock with the teaching that leads them away from the truth. Teaching that will twist or distort the truth rather than guarding and proclaiming the truth. The Corinthians were prone to follow the worldly philosophy of the Romans or the pagan city of Corinth. Sadly, the church was taking cues from culture, which then led to all of this chaos and all of this immorality in the church. And Paul is saying, be alert. 
Be alert, church. Don't follow culture. We follow Jesus Christ. We follow Him who is the Word made flesh, who came in the fullness of grace and truth, who's coming back again. So don't get sleepy, church. Don't get sleepy, but rather stay spiritually awake and alert on the front lines. Stand firm in the faith, meaning hold one's ground in battle rather than surrender. This command is is common in Paul's letters, Galatians, Philippians, 2 Thessalonians, stand fast, stand firm. And I love the phrase, in the faith, which describes the action to stand firm. Paul wrote in, in the church, or to the church in, in chapter 15 that the gospel of Jesus Christ is of most importance, of first importance. In the faith reminds us what we are standing in. So we are not standing firm in our opinions, our interests, our tastes, our preferences, our backgrounds, our ethnicities, even our church name, or a host of any other examples. No, as Christ followers, we are standing firm in the faith, in the gospel, for only that brings real unity and transcends all of time and any point in history and any point in this earth. It's timeless. Only the gospel is unchanging and eternal and the rock that we stand upon. Church, we're going to stand firm in nothing other than the good news of Jesus Christ. That's not going to change. We're going to stand firm in timeless biblical convictions and not trending cultural ones. Because it's like sand. It's a constant chasing. It's, you never catch it. Instead, we're going to rest ourselves in the timeless biblical convictions that still bring about life change to this day. Be courageous. Only place in the New Testament that, th that this is used. It echoes where in the Old Testament where it's used often. Joshua 1, for example, this charge to the Lord's people to be courageous. Paul is saying, don't give way to fear. Don't give in to hopelessness. Don't let uncertain or frightening circumstances cause you to step away from your post, to step away from your roles or your responsibilities. When trial comes, when our spiritual enemy is seeking to lure you away, when your weak flesh is seeking to lead you down the path of sin or the patterns of this world are trying to get you to, to go down the dark alley of folly, be courageous. And remember, Paul has talked about this in his letter, how he's faced opposition. He equates his opposition in Ephesus to that of wild beasts. So the opposition is not tame. It's not like Paul is, is giving this exhortation as someone set apart from the battle, but one who is at the front lines alongside the big C church. Heather would often tell our kids as they were growing up, be the salmon, be the salmon, be the one that swims upstream against the downward flow of culture and the world. Swim against the current of your own flesh or the foolish friends want to take you on. And you can't be the salmon without being courageous. Courage that is not anchored in your spirit, but anchored in the spirit of God, the spirit that dwells inside of you as, as a believer. Be strong. Paul, again, talks about being strong elsewhere in letters. Ephesians 6, 2 Timothy 2. Be strong, not in yourself, but in your Savior. Be strong, not because you're self-willed, but because your will is submitted submitted to Jesus Christ who beat death on the third day. And sometimes, let's put this qualifier on it, 
Sometimes to stand firm, be courageous, be strong means, means to flee. Not out of fear, but out of wisdom. Paul has given two examples in this letter so far. 1 Corinthians 6.18 charges us to flee sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, we are charged to flee idolatry. Don't arrogantly play around in the mouth of the lion when wisdom calls you to flee. Instead, choose the courageous path. Like I said, these are all military terms. You could take any of those first four phrases and stick them into any military scene, whether in a movie or real life. The last of the five commands properly shades all the rest. It gives the foundation to all the rest. It reminds us that the foundation upon which we are living is the gospel, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him and put their faith in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, do everything in love. Do the first four in love, in reflection of the love of our Savior Jesus. And his love was not domineering, aggressive, passive-aggressive, bully-like, arrogant. It was self-sacrificing, willing, I'll-go-first kind of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 gave us some descriptions of such love. Jesus reflecting love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it is a love that finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It is a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In each of these five, Paul knows that apart from the grace of God and relying upon the Spirit, the church will be tempted to do the opposite. Like you only exhort or encourage someone because you're afraid that they're going to do the opposite. And he knows that the church, apart from the grace of God, will be tempted to fall asleep, to give way to false teaching, to be timid and fearful, to be weak in the faith and give way to sin, to neglect loving in the selfless way of Jesus. And you and I are tempted as well to do that. We're in daily need of grace and the reminder that we are all in need of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in us to live a life that glorifies God and, and seeks to live out verses 13 and 14 as a way of life. Then in verse 15, Paul is turning his attention to a specific Corinthian household, saying, church, look at this household as an example of faithfulness. Verses 15 through 18, brothers and sisters, you know the, house, you know the household of Stephanus. They're the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore recognize such people. So these three men had traveled from Corinth to Ephesus and brought the questions of the Corinthian Christians to Paul. As Paul then sends them back with this letter, he is asking the Corinthian church to recognize them, welcome them, be gracious toward them. Stephanus was the, was the head of the household. The other two are probably either household servants or freedmen. 
who accompanied him on his journey. And this household was one of the first converts in this region. They were the first fruits, meaning their conversion to Jesus revealed that more are to come. The Lord of the harvest is at work in this region around Corinth. The fields are ripe for harvest, and, and that's revealed through this household coming to faith in Jesus. So Corinthians pray to the Lord of the harvest that, would, that he would raise up more laborers for the harvest. Consider in your own family trees how many of you are the first fruits to your family tree. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing happening in your households that has happened 20 years ago, decades ago, or just recently. The Lord is causing first fruits to remind you that more are to be reached. It reminds us of a disciple-making mission that we've been called to, starting with those closest to us, into our family trees, into the communities, the neighborhoods, the places we do life. For as, uh, for as verse 15 says here uh, of that household, that they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. So they are not set on making much of themselves or clamoring for a platform or the self-centered influencer title. The Corinthians were known to be a people who made it about them. And Paul is saying, no, no, look at this household. Look at this household. How they devoted themselves to serving the saints. Look at their generosity. Look at their graciousness their hospitality, their other-oriented spirit, their care, their love, and he's telling the church, submit to them. Learn from them. Take some cues from them, Corinthian church. Paul's seen their way of life in Christ and thought, this church could learn something from this household, their servant leadership, and so they should welcome this example and not resist it. Look around you, Crosspoint. There are households here you and I can learn from. No, you won't find a perfect household. And if it appears perfect on the outside, just ask them. I'm sure they'll remind you that they are as in desperate need of the grace of God as you are. None of us came in here with our resumes. No first impressions volunteer was checking resumes at the door saying, tell me about all your spiritual accolades before you walk in this door. No, we came in as desperate beggars in need of grace, in need of bread of life, living water. So around us are opportunities to learn from brothers and sisters who are loving the Lord, loving one another, making disciples of Jesus, and seeking to do that in a way that glorifies Him and is as in dependence upon His grace. Paul himself, while being in Ephesus, is one that has been ministered to by this faithful household. He says they brought refreshment to a spirit. So said another way, they brought shade in the midst of weariness or sun weariness. They brought... Uh, water in the midst of thirst. They walked away, having spent time with Paul, and Paul's heart was refreshed. And while not written down, we can safely assume that these three walked away, also refreshed from fellowship in time with Paul. We so often wrongly assume that refreshment in the gospel is just a one-way street. Like others should do that for us, and then we might follow. We turn relationships into contracts you go first like 10 times over and then i might follow oh you screw up sorry i'm out and we we turn everything into a contract but refreshment is multi-directional it's living out the one another's in the new testament alongside each other 
Listen, you will be perpetually disappointed with life in the local church if you believe that all care, love, and refreshment should always flow your way and never from you. Cross point, let's be lavish in our encouragement and love toward one another. As a way of life, let us not grow weary in devoting ourselves to serving the saints, starting with those closest to us, but not stopping with those, but going to the broader family of God. Last week, we gave out this book to uh, mothers. We had 25 copies, I believe. They're all gone, which is great. We bought 10 more copies, so ladies only. Uh, That's the offer, ladies only, and they're free. Uh, There's 10 more copies back there. Get those. Let that be an encouragement to you. The title is Caring for One Another. That's why I bring it up right there. Consider your role in the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about your formal roles, like, well, I serve in Sun Chasers, or I'm I'm in the AV booth, or I'm on first impressions on this leadership team. I'm not talking about your formal roles in the church. I'm just talking about you as a brother and sister in the family of God, as a member of his body. You love the Lord. You seek to love the saints and serve the saints. You're calling this church home, whether you called this church home 20 years ago or you're newer. Either way, consider your role in the body of Christ. This summer is a good reminder that the church has never been, nor should ever be in the future, built, a, built or centered around an under-shepherd, a pastor. Rather, it should always be centered around the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. So listen, you have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in you. You have the living and active word of God before you. You have one another You have new mercies every single morning. You have grace lavished upon you as his kids. You have godly leaders who are seeking to serve you and reflect reflect Jesus as a way of life. Enjoy being the body of Christ this summer. Enjoy being the body of Christ. Enjoy being the family. Church, we're in and have been in a very sweet and encouraging season as a church. It's hard to step away from. But the Lord is faithful and will be faithful. There's a lot of spiritual fruit that is occurring. The Lord is causing the growth. And I pray that this summer the Lord might continue to strengthen and build his church. That when we come back in August and hear, we hear of salvations and baptisms and spiritual growth taking place and people stepping out of comfort zones. I've never tried that before, but I did it. And I invited this person. People are calling, new people are calling this church home and The saints are being equipped and encouraged for ministry through the workshops and all these things. And when we come back in August, it's let's celebrate 20 years of God's faithfulness. Let's express our our thankfulness. Let's pray with expectation. And then chapter turns, next 20, here we go. We keep walking by faith. I'll be 67 when the next uh, chapter closes. Kent will be my age, 47. How's that feel? (laughs) My grandchild will be 20, Lord willing. Let's faithfully and prayerfully plant and water because the Lord is causing the growth. Let's plant and water with the steadfastness of a farmer, the endurance of an athlete, and the courage of a soldier. Our faithful and good Lord will cause the growth. Verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila 
and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. All brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Asia, meaning the Roman province of that name. Nowadays, this is the western edge of Turkey. This is where the city of Ephesus is, and Corinth is, is across the Aegean Sea in modern-day Greece. In just 20 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church is spreading. The word of God is spreading. The kingdom is going out. The commission that Jesus gave to his disciples to make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, going as a way of life, it's being lived out. And the Lord is bringing the work. In September, we're going to start preaching through the book of Acts. We'll be there for probably all of next year, all the ministry year from September to August, minus some stops along the way. What better book for us to be in as we begin the next 20 together? to be reminded of New Testament church, to be reminded of mission. The God that was at work in the book of Acts is the God who is still at work in our day. And so to a Corinthian church that has this fierce streak of individualism and seems to be overly eager to try to, try to find their independent way, Paul reminds them, you're part of a larger community of followers. You're not free agents, but you're fellow agents in the big C church. So for instance, you're not alone in this world as you live out verses 13 and 14. You're alongside the broader church as you are alert and stand firm in the faith and seek to be courageous and strong and do everything in love. That's a good word for us as well in our day. When we are united in gospel doctrine and deed with other churches, when we are in agreement on the primary doctrines of grace and the scriptures, we should look for ways to partner together in the Big C Church. This is definitely what made the plant and Redeemer possible. It's also what makes possible any future work. It's, it's what makes possible, the, the Lord willing, the planting of a church in the unreached people group of the Kuyu people in Papua New Guinea. If we're not in agreement on the core doctrines of our faith, then we shouldn't partner together because we're not going to be pulling in the same direction. But when we are, we shouldn't make it about Crosspoint's little small K kingdom. We shouldn't make it about God's kingdom. I love that this summer, you're not, you're not only going to hear from pastors and elders here, but some of my friends from other churches, co-laborers in the gospel who I've learned from, who are devoted to serving the saints, who will serve you well in their teaching, and Isaiah 55 will, will come to pass. The word of God will be proclaimed. It won't return void no matter who the messenger is. The message will go out and it will continue to change lives just like it has century after century. Paul here lists another example of a household to follow, Aquila and Priscilla. Husband and wife team, we learn in Acts 18, who were one of the first people to welcome and show hospitality to Paul at Corinth. This couple was devoted to the Lord and the service of his people. They used their home for ministry and hospitality. The people of God often met in their home for fellowship, for teaching, singing, praying, taking communion. Homes, both then and now, are a key part of the ministry of God. These four walls, this property is great, but scattered across this region are homes and apartments and places that can be used and should be used for ministry and mission. So enjoy this summer, an opportunity to do that. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This was a common greeting in that day in early church tra tradition. 
similar to his teaching on head coverings and hair length in 1 Corinthians 11. These are practices fitting for the historical context that Paul is writing from, not practices that must be legalistically applied in every context since. So what does carry forward is the timeless principle behind the contextual practice, same as was true in 1 Corinthians 11. And the principle here is when the church greets one another, there should be warmth. There should be verbal and nonverbal ways to communicate personal affection and love in Christ. Paul closes four times in the New Testament with this charge to greet one another with a holy kiss. All of those contexts, he's writing to churches that have some degree of conflict in them, including here in Corinth. So in a church that is prone to disregard one another, Paul is saying, no, greet one another. Greet one another in a way that reveals that you're at peace with one another because of the gospel. Greet one another as a family, not as foes. Greet one another in light of the gospel, that we're all here by grace alone, and each of us are to be a reflection of and speakers of grace and truth to one another. There is a sweet family nature to life in the local church. It's present in our midst right now. It's beautiful. The family of God loving one another well. Sure, it's not perfect. We'd all raise our hand on that, but we're making progress by the grace of God. The Lord's glorified through that. Enjoy living as the family of God this summer, for it is not I who ties us together, but Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, our heavenly father who delights over and loves his sons and daughters with a never quitting, never stopping, never giving up kind of love. Verse 21, this greeting is in my own hand, He's simply saying, I approve this message. I'm sorry to put that in your mind, but that's what the next year is going to hold. <laughs> saying, I read the letter. I said the letter. I approve it. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him, our Lord come. Verse 22 is a warning to those who have yet to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins that they've willingly separated themselves from the love of the Lord Jesus. They've rejected his good news and as a result will reap the same rejection in eternity if they do not repent. Paul's saying the Lord will come again. So unbeliever, repent and believe the good news. The Lord will come again. So believer, look up and look forward. Knowing the Lord is coming again, it only reminds us how eternally important our disciple-making mission is. That that's how the world changes. That's how family trees change, is when we, as as the people of God, prayerfully live out, faithfully live out Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What we see is Paul's heart for the spiritual welfare of the people who will receive this letter. It's all motivated by love, which is clear then in verses 23 and 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Paul loves the Corinthian church, a love in Christ Jesus. It's the same qualifier that he gave to standing firm in. A love that is fueled and overflows from the reality that Jesus first loved us. When we could care less about Jesus, he was dying upon that cross. When we were still wandering and straying, he had set his face to Jerusalem knowing that the cross and resurrection await. And notice that Paul's love is with all of them. So those that are grown in the Lord, those that are struggling, everywhere in between, 
because Paul knows that the Lord is faithful to finish what he has begun. He knows the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who will believe. He knows the Lord is not done with the Corinthians yet, just like he's not done yet in Paul's life. This is a tender note of love and affection. And notice that, that Paul's final words to the church in this letter are centered around who? Jesus Christ. And he's going to say it twice at the end to remind the church. Because it's Jesus Christ who we worship. It's he who we will worship for all eternity, whose name is worthy of all our affection, all our allegiance, all our lives. Grounded and growing, that's been my prayer for us as a church over the past nine months. It will continue to be in the months ahead. That we be grounded in the truth of the, uh, of the word and the truth of the gospel and we grow up into Christ's likeness both individually and collectively. If the worship team could come up. As I shared with you last fall, uh, when the series began, our one place our family enjoys going to is, uh, is Colorado. And one reason is because of the aspen trees. I chose a grove of aspen trees as the background of the series because it reminds us of, of this beautiful spiritual truth that creation reminds us here of. Aspens are all over Colorado. They grow in large bunches. They're often derived from one single seedling. And aspen trees spread the new trees that grow up can shoot up 100 feet from that first seedling. And what holds the aspens together? It's the root system that holds them all together, all from this one single seedling where the grove began. Grounded and growing, my prayer for months ahead and years ahead is that this local family of believers and those yet to be reached, the ones we are praying for, the ones that we are seeking to love and lead to the, way, uh, to the way of Christ, that we'd be grounded in the gospel and growing in the Lord, that we'd be reminded that what ties us together is nothing of this earth, but it's the unchanging gospel of first importance, that we'd see new people come to faith in Christ, new trees of righteousness shooting up and growing in Jesus Christ, who is the head, the vine, the shepherd, the rock, our cornerstone. In Christ is that single seedling that ties us all together. That like this picture back there of, of bright aspen colors alongside mountains that are in the same way that our words and our way of life would be bright in the world. Bright and brilliant for the glory of God. Bright and brilliant reflecting the fullness of His grace and truth. Bright with the good news of Jesus in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our family trees. The Lord is able. He will do it. Why? Because He's faithful. He's good, and he's alive. <laughs> Father God, we trust you. We love you. We're grateful for your goodness in our lives. As we close in prayer, we want to pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of, of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, to him forever and ever. Amen.
be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love, our love be with all of you in Christ Jesus.